Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Welcome to Literary Quest. This week, we are talking about Air of Fire by Sarah J. Mass, the third book in her Throne of Glass series. So we have a bunch of new characters, bunch of new places. So I'm just going to jump right in. A little refresher, we have the original three. We have Selena Sardothian, also known as Aelin Ash River Galathinius. She is our main female lead. She is part fae with fire powers, and she is the rightful heir to Terrison. Um, her country was destroyed by the king of Adderlin. Then we have Dorian Havliard. He's the crown prince of Adderlin. In the last book, we found out that he has magic, which is a big deal because his father banned all magic. And then finally, we have Kale Westfall. He is captain of the guard. He was Selena's love interest in the last book until he betrayed her and played a part in the death of her friend Nehemia, who was the princess of Yilwei. Moving on, we have some amazing and fantastic new characters that we love. We have Queen Maeve. She is Fae and Queen of Doranel, um, as well as Wendelin. She is the older sister to two other Fae queens, Mab and Mora. She has a group of Fae who took blood oaths to her. Um, this includes Rowan. She has the ability to control them and make them do whatever she wants. We move on to Rowan Whitethorn. He is a Fae prince and warrior. He has the power of wind and he's been sent by Queen Maeve to train Selena slash Aelin. He is blood sworn to Queen Maeve. He and Aelin don't get along at first, but soon develop a close friendship. He is described as having tan skin, silver hair, pointy ears, elongated uh, canines, and a tattoo on his face. So Marissa's dream, man. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm just elevating thinking about this person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we have the cadre. Uh, this is what Aelin calls the group of fae that are bound to Queen Maeve with uh, Blood Oath. Um, that group includes Rowan, Lorcan, Gavriel, Fenris, Connell, Vaughn, and Karin. Uh, we only briefly meet a few of them in Era Fire, but we learn significantly more uh, about them throughout the rest of the series. We have Emrys, Luca, and Malachi. Uh, when Aelin goes to Wendlin, they become the closest people she has to friends. They all have some fey in them, but not enough to go to Dornell. We have Adian Ashriver. He is the King of Adderland's General of the North. He is known for his womanizing and partying ways. Despite being a general in the King's military, he has never forgotten what happened to Terrison or his cousin, Aelin. He is described as looking very similar to Aelin. He has golden blonde hair and turquoise eyes with a ring of gold, a telltale sign of being an Ashriver. Then we have Sorsha. She's a healer at the Glass Palace who tended to the original three in the first two books uh, without being noticed in Air of Fire. She becomes Dorian's love interest. She is described as being pretty with chestnut hair and hazel eyes. All right, moving on, we have Manon Blackbeak. She is an iron tooth witch. She is the heir to the Blackbeak clan. However, this does not save her from cruel treatment and punishments that are often doled out. She drinks the blood of humans. 
Uh, she specifically seems to hate mortal men. She wears a signature red cloak that she got from killing an enemy witch. She has a wyvern named Abraxas, who she has spent a lot of time training. He used to be a bait wyvern, but she felt a connection with him. She has also created the 13, which is made up of the strongest Blackbeak witches. Her second is Astrin, um, and her third is Sorrel. She trusts them and they work together, but they're not friends. She is described as having alabaster skin, long moon white hair, and gold eyes. We have some new locations as well. A uh, quick reminder, Rifthold is the capital of Aberlin. It is where the Glass Castle is and also where Dorian lives. Uh, in the first two books, this is where we spent most of our time. However, in this book, we spend a lot of our time in Wendland. It is described as being a land of myth and monsters, of legend, legends and nightmares made flesh. This is where uh, Miss Ward Keep is located, and we spend a lot of time at the keep because it's where Aelin and Rowan are. Other Fae and Demi Fae also live there. We have Dorinel. This is where Queen Maeve lives, as well as full-blooded Fae and powerful Demi Fae. Uh, we have the uh, Farian Gap, which is where the witches spend most of their time in this book. Marissa, would you like to pick up our plot? Well, I sure would. This story is told from three perspectives, from Selena's perspective in Winland, from Dorian and Kale's perspective in Rifthold, and then from Manon Blackbeak's perspective in the Farian Gap. So let's start with Selena's perspective. Air of Fire begins with our main character, Selena, a little drunk on the roof of a house in Winland, where she was sent by Kale at the end of the last book under guise of infiltrating the defenses for the king, but really so that she could get out of Rifthold and get away from the king and learn more about her fae heritage and the word keys that she discovered in the last book. However, once she got to Windland and realized how well-loved Galan Ashriver, the prince and her cousin of Windland was, she developed all of these feelings of depression and hopelessness and decided that drunkenness was the preferable option. So eventually she gets off the roof and she runs into a fey warrior who says very little but intends for her to go with him. And so he takes her to Mistward, um, the fortress in the forest that is distant from Windland's capital where she meets her aunt Maeve, queen of the fey in Dornell. Maeve sucks, she is not nice. Uh, but Selena bargains with her if she trains and becomes interesting enough, Maeve will allow Selena to come to Dornell and give her information about the word keys. So Selena will be training with Prince Rowan, who escorted her to Mistward and who is blood sworn to serve Maeve. Things start out rough between Rowan and Selena. He thinks she's an entitled princess, which we know she's not. Um, and she thinks that he's a battle-hardened butthead, and he kind of is. And so she picks a fight with him, and he punches her in the face. And so they just, they don't really start off super great. Uh, he tells Selena that she'll be working in the kitchens in the morning to earn her keep, and then she'll start training with Rowan for the rest of the day. And so she does that. Rowan begins by training Selena 
he demands that she shift into her fae form and she can't. And so they fight and they continue this way for a few days with him demanding that she shift and Selena, who is terrified of her magic and has been since she was a child, being unable to do what he's asking. Eventually, Rowan gets frustrated with her and he tells her that she's worthless and she leaves Mistward. However, that night, she realizes that she's being tracked by skinwalkers, which are vile creatures that murder people and steal their skin. And so she attempts to escape them and Rowan who's been tracking her, helps her uh, escape. But to survive this situation, she's going to have to shift into her fae form. And so she realizes that she doesn't want Rowan to be injured because of her and because of that is able to shift into her fae form. And she uses her magic, which is like super, super amazing fire magic to kill the skinwalkers and they escape to safety. From there... Her training continues a bit more smoothly, and though her shifting is still sketchy, she is able to make progress. Alongside this, dead bodies begin mysteriously turning up, and Rowan includes Selena in the investigation. There's no obvious cause of death, but the bodies look like husks with masks of terror on each on the faces of each of the bodies find, and they carry a very odd repulsive smell so they do some investigating selena's power grows as she continues to improve and selena and rowan become closer to each other after she nearly burns herself out trying to maintain the fires at a solstice party under his orders he cares for her as she heals um, they eventually discover who is killing the demi-fae, so the bodies that they've been finding, they've been demi-fae. Um, it turns out General Narak, who is one of the King of Adderland's generals, has secretly amassed a force of soldiers on Windland, and Narak, plus three creatures with black torques around their necks, have been kidnapping demi-fae um, to try to find hosts for creatures from another realm, and so the black torques are made of the obsidian that we saw in the previous book and they contribute to the creature's powers. Rowan and Selena return to Mistward and begin preparing it for attack. They are on their own as Windland's forces have been diverted to the borders that are also being attacked by the King of Adderland and Maeve isn't planning to end, send any help. Rowan, per Selena, Selena's request, asks for help from his cadre uh, the attack from Narok comes in the night after they're betrayed by one of the Demi-Fae. Narok's forces or soldiers enter the fortress from a secret passage while Narok and the princes attack the front gates. Their power manifests as a darkness that destroys everything that it touches. And despite Rowan's protests, Selena uses her magic to defend the front, front gates while Rowan defends the fortress from the inside. Narok and the princess magic is so, so strong, but Selena holds them off for as long as she can. Rowan's cadre, cadre arrives as backup, and she is able to split the darkness with her magic for long enough for them to make it into the fortress 
but eventually Selena becomes too fatigued to keep defending herself and she is engulfed in the darkness. Uh, Rowan rushes to help her, but is held back by his friends. In the darkness, the princes take Selena through all of the trauma that she's experienced in the last 10 years and they feed off of it. And so when hopelessness and death seem imminent, Selena comes to accept who she is as Aelin Ashriver Galathinius, and she rallies one last time against the princes, becoming a flame against the darkness. And so Rowan rushes to her side, and they become Karnam. Uh, he's able to unite his blood with hers, and through that connection, she's able to use his power to defeat Narok and the princes. And so Mistward is saved. And now that Selena is interesting enough, she and Rowan traveled to Dornell to get the answers that Selena came for regarding the word keys. However, like all Faye, Maeve is tricky and attempts to use Selena's friendship with Rowan to manipulate Selena into sharing her secrets. Now let's shift perspectives. So from Manon's perspective, our new character, Manon, from Anon's perspective, she and her coven amass in the Farian Gap with the yellow legs. So Manon is a Blackbeak. She's part of the Blackbeak clan. So the Blackbeak clan plus the yellow legs clan and the blue bloods clan, they all amass in the Farian Gap in the mountains where they are tasked with training wyverns to fight for the king of Adderlin as he starts to amass his forces basically to take over the world. And so after they've completed their task for him, they'll be allowed to, to keep their wyverns and use them to take back their homeland. And so Manon selects a wyvern, which she calls Abraxos, who's the underdog as far as wyverns go. And she trains him to become a very capable wyvern. And she leads her group, uh, her group of 13, uh, plus the rest of her coven against the other two groups of Iron Teeth, which is the Blue Bloods and the Yellow Legs in a war game exercise to determine who will become like the head witch in charge. We'll shift over to Dorian and Kale's perspective in Rifthold. So in Rifthold, Adian Ash River, who is Selena's cousin, comes to the glass castle in Rifthold per the king's orders. And Kale is instantly wary as Adian has a reputation for killing his own people. And he wears the king's black ring, which has been used in the past to manipulate other people to the king's will. So Kale is suspicious. Um, he is trying to gather information about Adian, and in his investigating, he discovers that Adian is not what he seems. And so when Kale's caught snooping, he reveals to Adian that his cousin Aelin is alive and that she's been serving as the king's champion for the last year-ish and that she is currently in Windland. Um, and so they start working together to gather information um, for the rebel movement that's growing. Um, and then Kale also begins to investigate what happened to magic 10 years ago so that he can try to help protect Dorian because Dorian still got this magic and he doesn't have great control over it. However, to keep Dorian safe, Kale withholds all of this information from him and their relationship becomes strained. Dorian 
becomes close to a young healer in the castle named Sorsha, and she helps him with controlling his magic. Um, And he falls in love with her, and she falls in love with him. Kale makes preparations to return to his home on Yale, um, leaving his position as captain of the guard. And he makes arrangements to get Dorian and Sorsha out of Rifthold too. However, everything goes awry when Adian, Kale, Dorian, and Sorsha are escorted to the king's throne room. And he reveals that there is a traitor in their midst. So what's going to happen in Dornell with Rowan and Aelin? And where is this storyline with Manon going? And how are things going to turn out in Rifthold? Well, you have to read the book to find out or keep listening because this is your spoiler warning. We'll talk about all the spoilers next. Now. (laughs) (laughs) Right now. (laughs) So... I realized as you're reading your summary and you're still calling her Selena, I've moved on to calling her Aelin because I moved on to the other books. Oh, well, she's still Selena for part of this book. So she's Selena up until almost the very end. Yes. Yeah. So sorry to, I guess, listeners. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to be slipping back and forth then between yeah. Selena and Aelin because I've now spent two other books with her as ale because I have no self-control that's how good these books are I have already read them once these are my second reads I read them the second time knowing I'm gonna go up go back like immediately and reread them for the third time for the podcast and I don't care because that's how good they are (laughs) (laughs) so anyway this book is one of my favorites uh it's great the first time I read it I had a hard time with the witches and even with uh, Kale and Dorian, like I wasn't as interested in them because I was wrapped up in Rowan and uh, Selena. Yeah. How about, how about you on your first read? Same. Absolutely the same. Even on the second read, I was like, can I just skip everything that's not Rowan and Selena? (laughs) (laughs) Can I just bypass all of that? Because I love them so, so much. So we're finally y'all like I don't know how to convey how strongly I feel about Rowan just yeah I mean he's just like my man and just I would I I just love him so much and so (laughs) to finally get to the book where he appears oh honey I was just so happy and like you said in your summary they start off so rough super bad start out super bad like about as bad as you can start a relationship with someone Uh like immediately he punches her i mean she she deserved it deserved it yes she did but that's about like other than like trying to kill the person that's probably the worst way to start a new relationship or friendship or anything with someone Unless they're going to be your enemy, in which case that's a great way to start. I mean, at least if you start that way, 
There's nowhere to go but up. Right. You know exactly where you are with that person too. So (laughs) it's not like they're doing stuff behind your back. When you start off with the fist to the face, you know what to expect going forward. So (laughs) you cut the crap right away. Yeah. Maybe maybe we should start all relationships this way. (laughs) Getting punched in the face. I mean, just like being super straight. I saw a meme this week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I saw a meme this week. It was like, set your expectations as soon as you introduce someone. It's like, all right, that's a good strategy. You know exactly where you're starting off. So (laughs) I mean, it's not the best way, but it is a way (laughs) to start a relationship. Yeah. I definitely think in the first read, I was just so blinded by how much I loved Rowan. In this read, I was like, oh, he maybe need like a, like a co-teacher or something because his, his teaching strategy, it's maybe not the best. He needs TA. He needs a TA. He needs someone to be like, uh, like someone to like go behind him. Like, it's okay, sweetie. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I know he called you worthless, but he didn't really mean that. Um, you know, along with the first time I read it, yes, I was super invested in them, but also at first I didn't like him. I know you, ah! I didn't. And I was still rooting for her and Kale. Oh, Vicky. My first read. Okay. I didn't know. Now, by the time this book ends, actually probably, probably about halfway through, I was like, uh, forget Kale. This is amazing. We, we got a new person. And by the end, it was like Kale who? uh and then of course we know what happens later on with kale right yeah so i didn't have any of those problems in this book no nothing holding me back (laughs) not liking rowan because i was still embracing i could fully embrace him right away (laughs) right off the bat yes i mean gosh there's just something about a guy with pointy ears and elongated canines and silver white hair (laughs) The canines. It it calls to me. (laughs) The bite in this. Daddy, yes. (laughs) It forces her change. Like to change into her fae form. But I was like, I know what that's about. Uh, yeah so first time I read that I was like wow this is like some dom sub stuff right here like (laughs) (laughs) we're getting kinky okay (laughs) do it let's take it there (laughs) there Um, were so many times in this book with Rowan where I was like yes daddy do it yeah (laughs) and poor Rowan he's so broken himself I know his mate died like he's got the exact year and days yeah it's so sad it is really sad and sorry go ahead no you go so he he and Selena really struggle with their relation because she I mean it's not like she starts to develop like romantic feelings for him that she's willing to acknowledge at least at this point in the book but she like comes to see him as a friend and you know they have their fight where he tells her like you mean you're nothing to me I'm just training you 
and it breaks her heart. And we'll talk more about that in a second. But they kind of have this moment, this moment where they make up and he's like, look, I'm still the trainer and you're still the trainee, but we can have some crossover and cut, cut me some slack because I don't know what I'm doing here either. It's yeah. like, I appreciate you acknowledging that you are a grumpy butthead and that you don't know what you're doing and neither does she and you're just figuring out together. And I actually think that might be the first instance or right around that time is um, it Selena says to whatever end. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the first instance of it, which I really like because this turns into something, you know, the relationship progresses um, yeah. and it be moves from friendship and so this yeah. all started out to whatever and started out from like a friendship perspective and evolved. And I really liked that looking yeah. back, especially realizing that mm -hmm. it's you know, so nice. It's nice for our girl. Who just, I mean, gosh, she just wants a friend so freaking bad. And all of her friends end up dead. <laughs> it's not funny, but the way you said that, I mean, it's true though. Everyone she loves dies except Adian and she hasn't seen him in 10 years so yeah well she also thought he was dead didn't oh, she I don't know it's she didn't know she didn't really care I mean, he might as well be because she's he's not around so <laughs> she nobody she just wants a friend so bad I know which, which is, is why it's so hurtful when Rowan's like yeah we're not friends you're nothing to me uh, yeah and he says I do not care yeah so maybe for people who haven't read the book kind of the like lead up to this though is that he's tattooing his friend Gabriel yeah who um just went through something traumatic and she kind of like pushes him a little bit on like what he's doing because she thinks maybe he's like having sex mm -hmm. right and she's like do you do it for the money and then they get into this fight where he tells her he doesn't care all right it all starts because she brings him soup too yeah and like nosy yes I know so it starts off with her being nosy and I remember when she was like I'm gonna bring up this soup or stew or whatever it was and I was okay. like nope don't do it nope. I was cringing yeah. I was Same. like don't <laughs> I was like stay where you are Keep so listening. cringy yes oh like, you're and not fooling <laughs> anyone <laughs> you are not fooling anyone lying to yourself girl you just nosy <laughs> I know <laughs> I mean, I would probably do the same thing to be honest. Sure. <laughs> I'd find any reason to go and be like, hey. Yeah. Or even just like stand outside the door. Like, do I hear any significant grunting? Like what? <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? Are there any indicators here? <laughs> yeah. So the next day after they have that fight and Rowan like breaks her heart which another reason why this is also significant um that he does this at this time was that the last time she changed into being Faye she has this thought about not being that alone anymore because Rowan's there and she needs to save him yeah and then to find like she so she's not feeling so alone and then she goes to see him and he's like you're nothing to me yeah. I don't care about you like just crushes her mm -hmm. Um, so the next day she's working in the kitchen and Emerus is telling her something. I don't even, and she just snaps he, and she's like, he I get the knife. Remember he gets the knife from Ilway and it like reminds her of 
Nahemia because it's got like the lotus blossoms that's right on it, so it like triggers her feelings about Nahemia yep and that's right and so um so she snaps and she's saying I do not care just like Rowan did and I was like you know what this reminds me of that hurt people hurt people like just all around Rowan's hurting so he hurts uh Selena um Selena's hurting so she hurts Emrys you know just the circle of hurt people hurt people and yeah when Rowan starts kind of opening up a bit and like they are both in their fey forms and they're running because they're running to that town to ask about like the dead bodies and stuff and he kind of plays with her mm-hmm. I loved that yeah that was such that was just such a cute moment and then of course Aelin's like what and he's like goes like all hard and cold. he's like no I wasn't having fun never mind no no <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about I'm a, I'm a serious fey male warrior <laughs> I, I don't no play <laughs> I have no friends I need no friends uh, I mean you know that does align with uh, Selena because she does say at some point she's had enough of friends mm-hmm. I think that is like a direct quote too she's had enough of friends so hey, I'm they're, she a has, good they're all dead <laughs> she has no more friends to or stupid. I mean Dorian's in the castle so she still has him but Kale, bah, whatever. <laughs> a lot of Selena's part in this in in this book is her avoiding dealing with her feelings about Nahemia's death and her grief, and especially her anger towards Nahemia for the role that she played in her own death. Right, because Nahemia let it happen; like she willingly knew. Yes, and she lied. She lied to Selena after she promised that she would not be dishonest with her anymore. So I think that's that's part of it as well. It's not it's not just that Nahimi is dead. That's that's enough. But Selena's angry with her for her part in her own death for lying to her for for allowing herself to be killed yeah. for feeling like she was worth more dead than she was alive, um, which I think is hard too. A lot of this, a lot of this book is her trying to avoid acknowledging those feelings. She acknowledges the, the depression. She acknowledges the feelings of worthlessness. She acknowledges the apathy. That's how the book starts. Uh, she says, whatever determination, whatever rage, whatever anything she'd felt upon leaving Adderlin had ebbed away devoured by the nothingness that nodded with her not at her now like I highlighted that and I was like this sounds like depression <laughs> yes yes it does um I think there's um guilt if, as well for her I mean you kind of like for her putting you know some blame on Nehemia for her own death which again yeah. results in the avoidance it's why she doesn't think about that and she just, she needs to come to acceptance with a lot of things in this book. She needs to accept, you know, Nehemia's death and learn how to cope with all, everybody she loves being dead. Yeah. Um, Cause I don't think she never really appropriately grieved her parents either. Right. Which we learn in this book. Yes. Yeah. This book. Okay. I just want to make sure I've got it right. Um, 
so um and we know that grief is in isn't like a linear process and there's this yeah. whole stigma of being like well they're dead you don't speak ill of the dead so having these negative thoughts about nehemia and going through the grieving process it's not it's just a lot yeah it is a lot she's in and she's and she's not an assassin anymore you know she doesn't know what's going to happen to her friends back in rifthold it's just so much and she's really i mean when you think about it she's what 18 19 yeah it's yeah. it's a lot a it lot is, of feelings and it, that's all of that compounded on everything else that she i mean a lot's happened to her in about two years yeah all of it, like every, it's only been about two years from Assassin's Blade up to this point. And she spent a year in a death camp, which like sympathetic, let's get scientific here. The sympathetic nervous system would be operating on high alert for a whole year. Like that's a whole lot of, of um, stress response. So all of that, plus Sam's death, plus everything that led up to Sam's death, plus the events of King's Champion thing, like it's a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good I, point that you made about not speaking ill of the dead. Like having those feelings at, having those feelings of frustration and anger, uh, but wanting to honor the person that you love that died, like that's hard. Or feeling like you can't, like those feelings aren't valid or you can't have them because it would, Mm, what dishonor their memory in some way that's a good point good on you <laughs> thank you um so just aelin is going through so much in this because on top of her grief now she's in a position too where she's forced with this she has to pick like a fate basically you know that's going to happen to her is she going to embrace being Aelin Ashriver Galathinius or is she going to be Selena Sardothian um and she doesn't want to be Aelin she's not ready for that she's not ready to accept herself she's not ready to accept her rightful place on the throne in Terrison. you know this book is so much growth for Selena mm -hmm. but it's done through so much trauma and grieving and learning and yeah I feel so bad for both I mean just all of these people from Terrison Adian Aelin Rin Murta all of these people have these feelings of not being worthy enough not doing enough and I mean there's there was nothing else that they could have done mm -hmm. there's the by the time they were grown enough to do anything the king had i mean the king up to this point of the initial you know death of her parents and when everything fell apart king had been amassing and planning for so so long there's nothing that they could have done but adian several times mentioned how he feels so bad because like at 13 years old he couldn't protect aelin he wasn't in the right place to protect her like what 13 year old feels that way and Aelin feels responsible for the death of her people initially and then all of their deaths up until this point because she was dancing and having a good time and enjoying it's like I mean it's survivor's guilt I guess um, she she didn't spend the last 10 years trying to figure out how to save her people but if she had tried she probably would have been killed in the process 
Right. I mean, all of them did what they had to do to survive, right? I mean, Adian became a general in the king's army, you know, Mm -hmm. and we find out that he's been, you know, he's a rebel himself and he's been doing, he's been fudging numbers, basically. Um, We learned that in this book, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, To make it seem like he's killing more people than he actually is, you know, um, so we do learn he's doing what he can do, but still, and I find it very interesting how much these um like Adian and Ren um and other people from Karrison they're so like oh our queen Aelin she is still alive and like Avian especially he's he really loves her mm-hmm. um and you know like we because they grew up together and everything um but I feel like a lot of them aren't remembering that like she's like 18 or 19, 19, she's 19. Like, (laughs) what's she going to do? Like, you're putting a lot on her. Yeah, teenager, yes. (laughs) Like, her brain's not done yet. But I find, so talking about um, Adian, let me find the quote that I had because um, shoot. Oh, because he's really, he's really intense about her. Like he finds out that she's alive and he's just like, my queen is alive, you know, which great. But so somebody says to him, they burned the antler throne, Adian. There is no throne for her. And he says, then I'll build them myself from the bones of our enemies, which is powerful. It's like, wow, like he's ready to like. Yeah, he's all in. Yeah, he's all in. And he hasn't even seen her since she was like eight you know? And so he has no idea what she's like. Really. I mean, other than what Kale's told him, which, you know, who knows how much, I mean, even before Kale tells him like information, he's like, she's alive. She's going to be the savior. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Let's talk about the blood oaths. <laughs> talk about blood oaths. They're a big deal in this book. Actually, they come up multiple times in the next, you know, Can I just say, I'm super glad that we don't make oaths to other people this way. <laughs> This is freaking disgusting. <laughs> also, how you tra- transmit bloodborne pathogens. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad we've moved past like cutting our hands and making blood oaths and things like that because ew. And ouch, too, also. Yeah, it sounds far too wimpy for this. <laughs> Never get involved in any sort of agreement. Not making any freaking promises. <laughs> I'm not going to cut myself for this. So we first hear about them with Queen Maeve, right? Mm-hmm. And because Rowan is bloodsworn to her. So we find out that this means that she can command him and his cadre to do anything and they have to do it or else it'll hurt them, right? They'll, they're compelled to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when Adian's like, oh, I want to swear the blood oath to Aelin, I'm like, why? <laughs> but, you know, um, it's an honor in like Terrazin, right? Yeah. And Aelin also, like, I guess it's been historical, like historically, the ruler of Terrazin isn't like Queen Maeve. It's just like extra protection, I guess, Yeah. sort of thing. Um, but so Adian says like, I don't care as long as I get to swear the blood oath to her because only one person does it. 
and Harrison. Yeah. And in this book, Rowan beats him to it. Yeah. And I was like, so I was like, oh, it's going to be awkward when they finally reunite. <laughs> it's going to be awkward. It, yeah. Um, so Bloodos, yeah, Bloodos are a big deal. And then breaking them. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Also a big deal. So the whole scene with so when all of the names just left my mind. So Aelin and Rowan, they go to Dornell. And Maeve allows Rowan to leave his blood oath to her. He does it with honor. There's no major consequences. And immediately turns around and swears the blood oath to Aelin right in front of everybody like you know that had to be the most awkward thing ever they're all just looking on and he's like in front of her gashed his hand open like let's do this like and so first time i read it i like face palmed because i was like you just went from one to another right like i mean you know we know alan's not gonna abuse him that way but like come on you know so he goes from one to another and then of course Alan's like, uh, are you sure? Don't do this. This isn't a good idea. <laughs> oh, you need it. You need it for your protection. People will take you seriously. It's like, okay. I guess we're doing this then. It was, yeah. I mean, the vibe in that room when he did that, it must have just been so tense and awkward. Can you imagine, like, the the cadre just in the background like oh no and I somehow escaped this situation and also can you imagine Maeve's face when she releases him from the blood oath and immediately turns around to Aelin and says let's do it <laughs> I know and I just and then he I just love that he has to like convince Aelin that he needs it and sort of like it reminds me like when people sometimes propose and the other person is like no no get up let's let's talk about this another time yeah. like not here not now awkward <laughs> that's what it felt like to me when she was like what, what are you doing yeah why did you just slice your hand open mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> but being proposed to on a jumbotron <laughs> and saying like you're not sure yeah um so I am trying to find the quote I'm pretty sure I put it in um where the feeling that like Selena or Aelin gets when they make the uh, blood oath right she describes it as like um reminds me of the mating bond how the mating bond is described in um a, cra- oh, a court of silver flames. Now, if I put- oh, here, this is how Alan describes it. For a heartbeat, something lightning bolt snapped through her and settled a thread binding them tighter and together with each pull, Rowan took up her blood. Um, yeah, so it reminds me a lot of the um, mating bond description in a court of silver flames. Yeah. But that brings me to the whole mate thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we know that Rowan has ha- has a mate and had she died. Yeah. 
but he shows these like weird tendencies to Aelin that can that are confusing right like his friends have to hold him down um to prevent him from going to her when she's fighting the princes you know towards the end of the book like they have to physically restrain him yeah um and you know when we get like little glimpses sort of into his um narrative which doesn't happen a lot in this book by the way it should happen more he's um you know, they have this connection. They kind of talk telepathically. Um, they end up sleeping in the same bed. Like he has to be close to her. They need to be close to each other. It's a very, um, and in this book, it doesn't turn romantic. Right. Well, they're all. also Kara Nam too. Yes. They can share their power. So this, this, I think word, I think Sergey Massa said this before, this word is a play on the, the phrase, Anam Kara, which is a Celtic phrase that translates to soulmate. So the spirituality and the bonding of two souls is the words that, that are used to describe it. So there, there's that as well, that you can't sh share power with just anyone, but they can. Um, why don't we talk about Dorian and Sorsha's relationship? Okay, let's talk about it. Yes. All right, so Dorian and Sorsha, they... Their relationship in this book confuses me. Okay. So I wish that more time had been devoted to their relationship developing because I did not feel the love between them, right? Okay. Like she, I don't want to say she was infatuated with Dorian, but like she loved him from when, like from years and years ago, right? Like I right. had a crush on him, you know? So it was already not an uneven playing field, right? Yeah. Um, and Dorian is like, um, you know, at this point, Sorsha is like completely the opposite of Aelin, you know? Um, she's soft and she's caring and all of this. I mean, not that Selena wasn't, but you know, she's, uh, he makes a specific mention of her not having calluses. Yeah, which I found very interesting because I'm pretty sure in the first book there were specific message um, mentions of Selena having calluses. But anyway, um, and I just never really felt like that it was necessarily. I don't. Want to, I mean, I never felt really serious. You know, there's another point where <coughs> he says like, "Oh, you know, I thought I was in love with Selena, but now that I'm with Sorsha, I don't know," and it's like. <sighs> What? Like, I don't, I don't know. I, maybe I just didn't feel the chemistry. Maybe it was there and I just didn't pick up on it, but I felt like it was more, she was infatuated with him and he just really, really wanted somebody who loved him. Yeah. Like, that's what I think was, I mean, not that they're this, the strength of their feelings, not that there wasn't that they didn't have really strong feelings for each other. I just right. don't think that like you said, I don't think it was an even sort of approach to the relationship. And I think that Dorian has just been so starved for love that he is desperate to love anybody. Mm -hmm. Anyone who he just wants to love and be loved in return. And, you know, he fell in love with Selena, Selena after meeting her like three times. 
Like he knew nothing about her and was in love with her. Thought he was in love with her. But, and then we have this girl now. So I think Dorian is just so desperate for affection. And for someone who will give him affection for who he is and not because he's a prince future king which is you know he they they highlight that dorian is a player several times in the story and he always lets go of his conquests rapidly and the the two interactions with people that have been long term that have, we have seen have been with people who didn't care that he was the prince and treated him like a normal person so i think he's desperate for some sense of normalcy and someone who will give him affection and allow him to return their affection without the expectation of benefits because of his position. Upon reread of this series, my um, view of Dorian has changed a bit um, because for whatever reason, the first time I read this series, and I don't know if maybe this was me projecting something, I read him as being very bitter. Oh, really? Yes. He doesn't so, give that vibe to me at all. I don't know what it was. The first time I read it, something was very bitter. So even after what, so especially what ha after happened, what happens to Sorsha, right? Like in the next books, like I was like, oh, he's so bitter. Like, I don't know why, because now I'm reading them and I'm like, why? Why did I think that? Like, I'm not getting that vibe at all this time around. No. So I have no idea what that was. So I have a whole new, like, appreciation for Dorian and huh. stuff. You know, like, my, I've completely, he's completely different um, in my head. In terms of the series overall, Dorian's character is one of my favorites for his character arc. He grows so much from the first book to the last. He does. And he's got some very deep moments in this book. Yes, I agree. And I, I'm glad that I'm rereading this and my perspective has changed because it's like, it's totally different now. Um, I guess let's pedal back and talk about Kale and Dorian's relationship in this book. Let's so finish talking about Dorian and Sorsha. Should we talk okay. about her death? Because we never that. finished her death. Okay. We let's, let's, let's do that. Let's talk about yeah. Dorian and Sorsha first. Okay, go. Okay, so finishing up with Dorian and Sorsha, right? Uh, so Sorsha at the end gets beheaded, which is so tragic. Awful. awful. So awful. awful. And for me, for some reason, I think maybe it was because like my view on Dorian had changed at this point, you know? Maybe yeah. it's because of that, that this hit me so much harder. Mm -hmm. um, and even though I never, I still didn't really feel the love between them. I never got super connected to Sorsha. There was something that was still really tragic. Like when he crawls like towards her head as if like he's going to try to put it mm. back on. Oh my God. Mm. That broke my heart. Ugh. I was just... I didn't remember that the first time I read this was like completely unexpected and now also having a different view of Dorian of him not being a bitter jerk it yeah mm. that bad. I put off reading the last part of the book for three days to 
to get emotionally prepared for her being cut her head. You know, you would think like you have read it, you already know what's going to happen. It's not going to be that bad. It's not the case. It was, it was, it was worse this time. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was worse this time for me too. Do you want to talk about uh, Kale and Dorian's bromance and relationship? Their relationship is so strained in this book and it makes me sad for them because if they would just talk <laughs> things would be so much better <laughs> i know but kale's determined to save dorian from dorian doesn't know what he won't talk to him he's keeping all these secrets and so because of that their relationship becomes super strained which is sad because they relate like their friendship has been such a big part and so so important up until this point and so it's sad that in keeping all of these secrets from Dorian it's hurting their relationship and he could just say like I'm doing these things I can't share why with you for your own safety but just know that I still got you bro Kale and Dorian have this really spectacular kind of awkward interaction where they're talking and Dorian's asking him about his feelings for Selena and, and, and if he still loves her. And Kale says, a part of me will always love her, but I had to get her out of this castle because it was too dangerous and she was becoming, or she was what she was becoming. And Dorian says, she was not becoming anything different from what she always was and always had the capacity to be. You just finally saw everything. And once you saw that other part of her, he says, you cannot pick and choose what parts of her to love. Just as you cannot pick and choose, or just as you cannot pick which parts of me you accept. I guess that's what maybe that's where I feel like that hypocritical part is coming in because he's faulting Selena for these parts of her and he sent her away to protect her but also because of what she was becoming but now he's trying to save Dorian he sent Selena away so that she could save herself but I guess Dorian's not capable so he's trying to I don't know um uh, yeah anyway they he uh, dorian says of course you still see magic as the problem and of course you wish she wasn't who she is because you're not really scared of those things are you no it's what they represent the change dorian does this really great job of bringing to kale's attention the real root of the issue that he's having. And I like that. Right. There, Sarah J. Mass writes a, does a good job at writing romantic relationships in her book, but something else that she also does is she writes really great non-romantic relationships and Kale and Dorian's friendship is one of those. She does a great job of illustrating the ups and the downs that every friendship has. She does a great job of conveying their affection for each other. At the end, when Dorian 
at the end, uh, when Kale declares that he's he's not going to be serving the king anymore, uh, the king tries to have Kale killed, and it's not Sorsh's death that gets Dorian's magic to unleash. It's the thought of Kale dying. Dorian says that's a death that I couldn't handle. It's the thought of Kale dying that that gets Dorian to unleash his magic, which seals his fate with his father. And and Kale says to him at the end when Dorian is telling him to run, he says, I love you. And that's such a, I mean, I feel like that's a, a fantastic display of his vulnerability in that situation. And I just love their bromance. And that's another thing that I think kind of lends to what you were saying about Sorsha's death about it like the depth of it um uh, the depth of dorian's love for sorsha you would think if he was as devoted to her as like he is to dory or to kale that upon her being beheaded he could have he would have unleashed some magic or used his magic to stop it i know it happened really quickly but he's used his magic to stop other people from dying in the past and he doesn't in this situation but when it's kale he snaps it on so there's a scene uh, that's, that's shown from Selena's perspective in this word, and then we see it as well from Dorian Kale and Adian's perspective in, in Dovier. No, not in Dovier, in Riftold. And it's where they find out that all of the slaves in Dovier and Calicella have been murdered on the king's orders. And they all respond with such gravity, and it's a really hard scene. And so in response, I believe Selena stalks out of Mistward and she just unleashes all of her magic in her grief on the castle wards. And then, oh, we see it from Adian and Kale's perspective. And the king makes some comment about it to them. And Adian ends up having to like thank him for it and Kale later finds him uh, in the hidden chambers that are behind Selena's room and Adian says to him what do you suppose the people on other continents across all those seas think of us do you think they hate us or pity us for what we do to each other perhaps it's just as bad there and perhaps it's worse but to do what I have to do to get through it, I have to believe it's better. Somewhere it's better than this. And then he says, I have been forced to do many things, depraved, despicable things, yet nothing made me feel as filthy as I did today, thanking that man for murdering my people. And I think I like, I love having everyone's perspective because then we flash to the Royal Theater in this scene. And it, they're talking about how the people in the audience, they're all very chatty about the events of the day. And they're wondering where their new slaves are going to fr come from, which is such a horrible thought that anyone could look on the death of like mass death with the thought of, well, where am I going to get my slaves from now? The, the heartlessness, the callousness there. And we see musicians, we see the arts become important again, because instead of things progressing as 
they typically would with the performance, all of the musicians come out onto the stage, they're dressed in their black. And the first song that they play is the song of Ilway and they play the song of Ben Harrow and they play the song of Melisande and they play the songs of all of the people who were enslaved and killed. And then they, they get up and they leave. And it's so powerful. It just gets like, it got me right in the heart when I read that. Like, what is it about the artist? Because in the last book we saw Oh shoot, Rena. We think her name was Rena. We saw her an artist. We saw her using her talent to display us like to display rebellion against the king. And this is another situation where the artists are using their talents to rebel in 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 their way. And it's so powerful. I loved those scenes. In the last book, it was so, oh, ooh, it just gave me chills. And in this book, the same thing. I agree, the scenes were so powerful, just all of it, like Adian's. I mean, ugh, okay, so <laughs> let's start. Um, Selena's reaction is just like pure aggression and violence, you know, using up like all of her power because she has that like, outlet to do it too you know she's in that place to do it and then we have Adian who has to hide he can't yeah. show any of that and he's so full of shame mm -hmm. and I mean he's just you kind of get him like a little defeated at this point too because of everything and it's just uh, Adian's reaction especially um was really was really sad to me you know um it's so personal and it just relates you know he's had to do so many like he said he's had to do so many horrible things yeah. um he's referred and, to as Adderland's whore right yes yes yeah. um so and then yes the, the mu musicians I love that because and I think one of the reasons that um in general that that's powerful i mean music is powerful like it invokes so many feelings without lyrics you know like i mean it's this might be a little silly but fantasia mm -hmm. you've seen fantasia right i mean think about the scenes from that like even if you just close your eyes and you listen to the chords and stuff it evokes something in you yeah. you know i love fantasia growing up but anyway so and i also feel like with the musicians they have to let them play their piece, right? They can't just show up and kill them right there because that's in front of everybody. Whereas if let's say it was a riot or people protesting, it's okay to just like go up and kill them or slaughter them on the spot where the musicians right. and the artists are able to make this point because it would be it would be uncivilized right. to just kill them like that. Even though we think about it, they were just incredibly uncivilized by slaughtering all of the slaves in these death camps that were massive. I mean, thousands of people, mm -hmm. you know, and they still, they try to hide as if there's nothing, you know, as if they're still civilized people and they're putting up this front and like that with the musicians too. Well, we wouldn't just like water them like that. You know, they're not doing anything. Like it's, it's powerful. Yeah. And I think that might be one of the like 
big differences, you know, you, that we see with why Sarah Mass um, puts like um, has music a lot in this and a lot of art because it's a way for people to rebel and force other people to hear it and yeah. to be affected by it because they can't just be killed on the spot and not allowed to finish right they're able to finish their songs they're able to finish this set um, yeah I cried I'm, I'm pretty sure this is when I cried yeah we haven't talked about Manon at all should we talk about Manon oh my God. <laughs> we should which is weird because she's such a pretty big part in this book um yeah so there are a lot of chapters for her in this book I feel like a whole lot of this book with Manon it's like how to train your dragon yes I agree I also <laughs> don't think that this was the book to introduce Manon she ends just, up being one of my favorite characters, but even I, on this round, I was like, I just want to skip this. Yeah. And get to um, the other parts. Right. I mean, when I moved on to read four and five, even I kind of felt that way this this time, which is, I mean, I kind of did skip some of it. And on my first read, I skipped some of it too. So when I went back and read it now, there were things that I was like, oh, I forgot about this, probably because I skimmed it or skipped it. Like, I don't think these were the books with so much going on with Aelin and Rowan, I just feel like mm, this wasn't the time to introduce them. I think what she should have done was in book six, Tower of Dawn, that's when she could have put the witches in, like split the book. I know why they were introduced, you know, now. I just, I feel like it, it took a, I don't know if it took away, I think it took away from their story because you're anxious to get through it to yeah. see the other characters. That's um, how I feel. Because their characters were really, I mean, they were really good. Manon is great. I love her, um, Astrin, right? Um, her story is really powerful. But it just... I don't think it took away from their stories, but there were times when I was like, okay, I, I get it. Abraxos is being a butthead. Can we, like, mm, can we... I mean, there was a whole lot of like wyvern training, which is, it was entertaining to watch. I feel like it could have been compressed a little bit though. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just kind of feel like this could have, the whole witches could have been handled differently throughout the book in terms of their plot or story or something. I don't know. Just because I know when I read it the first time, I was like, eh, whatever, like, let me get to my other characters. Yeah. Um, and even kind of reading it this time, I felt the same way um but oh sorry no I love the scenes with Manon uh where she like is training Abraxos uh, yes. I like the scene where she picks Abraxos I love the scene where he's like playing in the fields sniffing the like oh my gosh he's toothless super cute that's exactly who I picture when I read Abraxos's chapters his yep. is toothless from how to train your dragon that's exactly how I see it I like her interactions with him and the mm -hmm. way that she treats him, not just like an animal, but like a, a, a smart being because he is, she sees him for more than just a tool. She, she sees the depth that is in him and acknowledges it. And she says some really great things to him. 
I really enjoy all of those scenes. Yes, I do. I enjoy, I definitely enjoy those scenes. I love how she makes um, spikes for his tail out of iron, right? She gets some teeth. She gets uh, stupid of her, but she steals the um, spider, silk. spider silk for his wings to reinforce them, right? And there's all this dedication that she puts into making him the best, uh-huh. you know? He starts I out the underdog and they underestimate him. And Manon is not one to be underestimated. So you shouldn't think that her right is either. Yeah. It's, I yep. love the, the work that she puts into her relationship with him. And I think that Manon is a really spectacular leader. Despite how awful her grandma is and the way that she treats the way I think that Manon is a, is a spectacular leader and the relationships that she has with her 13. She says repeatedly that she's not friends with any of them. Even Astrid, she's her friends. cousin, she's like, I'm not friends. She's my cousin, but we're not friends. Like, okay, yeah. but she's, you totally are. Yeah. <laughs> like she's denying it a little too much. I know in my summary of my little thing for her, I was like, they're not friends, but psh, yeah, they're about as close to friends. They're they're friends. 100 percent Um, yeah, they're they're friends. You may not put that name, that label on it, but you definitely are. Well, oh, but okay, I mean, right. If it makes you feel good to say you don't have any friends, fine. It reminds me of again, Geralt of Rivia or even Rowan, like, I have no friends. I need no friends. I don't need any friends. Like, Okay, but you do. You're just lying to yourself. <laughs> yeah. They're her, it it they're comes her. through in there in her relation, like her interactions with her 13 as well, because they're such a tightly knit group because they mesh so well. I mean, I suppose that you could have a group that functions that well without calling it like a two, a true definition of friendship. But if you had crap relationships with all the people in your group, you, you wouldn't have that type of dynamic that they have. They're the best. They mm-hmm. win the war games. They are the best. They train together super well under Manon's direction. And if you had garbage relationships with the people in your group, you wouldn't be at that level of skill. So maybe she doesn't call it friendship, but it's something. I Yes, it's definitely something. I mean, listen to this, I guess, sort of... Uh, vow um, that she makes to Abraxos. Um, You are one of the 13. From now until the darkness cleaves us apart. You are mine and I am yours. Let's show them why. You know, like, I don't know. I mean, that's just her and her wyvern. Um, Which, I mean, they have a, you know, obviously she's very close to it. It's like her pet. Um, But the whole, the darkness um, until the darkness cleaves us apart thing. I really like that. Mm Mm-hmm. That's cute. And so you're one of the 13. And it makes me wonder, I was like, is this like a thing that she says to them? Like when they join the 13, right? Cause it seemed like maybe like a scripted, I mean, it's written, but you know, like a scripted vow or something that yeah. they sort of said, I was wondering that. I don't think they say for sure. Um, but you know what else it made me think of the bargainer series. What is it that she says from now until darkness dies? Oh yeah. But yeah. Let's talk about the big fight at Mistward. So they are betrayed, right? They're betrayed by one of the demi-fae. Uh, so the attack happens 
before they think it's going to happen. I think they originally think it's going to happen at dawn and then it happens in the middle of the night and they're like, oh no. But so um, Alan, right, rushes out to, well, after like kind of arguing with um, Rowan about it, and Rowan's like, promise you'll only use it defensively. Like you're not going to like do anything to burn yourself out. And she's like, yeah, sure. I'll do that. She doesn't. Um, so she um, rushes out to try to keep the um, the general and like the prince's back and it goes poorly. I mean, it goes okay. And then it goes poorly. Um, and so she gets like overwhelmed by them and they push her into this. So we find out, right, that the princes cause like a lot of fear. People are basically um, forced to relive their worst nightmares or their worst memories, right? Mm -hmm. So she's forced to see her parents' death. She's forced to see Nehemia, right? And then there's this really powerful moment where she sees herself as a child, right? Telling her to get up, which again, kind of like a, that's a thing. That's, that's, it, that is a thing. Yeah. that's a thing. Following us, telling her to get up and Selena or Alan, either. It doesn't um, matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I had the same Um, You know, is like resistant to it at first, sort of. And then when she finally gets up, she's finally like, I am Aelin Ashriver Galathinius. Like she embraces who she is and just, I don't know what that sound was. <laughs> I liked it. Okay. <laughs> just like destroys, like wins. It's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. Um, I love it. And she comes out of it stronger. She's, you know, yes, she was forced to face all of these things, and, but she ended up being forced to face herself. And that finally finally she embraces all of her mm -hmm. and that gives her the power to beat them and of course we have rowan having to be held down because like she's dead he thinks she's dead and is mm -hmm. distraught um and so relieved when he you know he finds out that she's not yes like no <laughs> hesitation she does the thing like, and he runs out and is like yes cuts his hand we're doing this she's like yeah. what okay we're going with it oh yes. yeah good moment so good so oh it's All just the power great. and she's accepting being Faye. she's accepting you know uh being queen so she goes into like i i just picture it as sort of like darkness enveloping her right yeah. like a cloud of darkness kind of over her yeah is what i picture which i think kind of how it's described yeah right yeah um yeah so that that's what i picture so i picture her just like kind of coming out of this like so much more powerful and you know i mean we kind of get like a phoenix moment here right yeah exactly the darkness comes back right and she makes this comment about herself about being the queen of fire and ash and so you know, we get this moment where it's like she's rising from who she was as Selena Sardothian um, she sheds that and becomes Aelin Ashriver Galathinius it's this excellent moment of transition transformation really for her yeah 
it's great. I mean, you know, and on level, like on one level, it's very, it's glaringly obvious as to what has happened. You know, we talked to them uh, last week a little bit about how like the reveals that we had where she was, you know, like when we find out, oh, she's actually Queen of Terrace and was kind of like subtly done, mm -hmm. you know, in the book. And then we have this where she does come out and is like, I am Aelin Ash River Galathinius. <laughs> So we get that kind of reveal <laughs> in the same way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> we get our big reveal. <laughs> yeah. And then, so what I love in conjunction with this, it doesn't happen immediately after, but news of her defeating so news that she a is still alive and b defeated the, the king's forces makes it to Rifthold. and there is this i mean i had chills when this happened in the book so uh murtaugh who's one of the characters from terrison he's ren's grandfather he runs up the stairs runs into selena's apartment which is where they'd been staying and like makes this grand entrance and he's like she's here she's alive this is the thing and like it's such a powerful moment um because the news that she exists one um but also has some power too and that she's able to take on some of the king's forces is so it's such a like a big beacon of hope for all of the people that she represents, it, they say uh, it, it was a message to the world. Aelin was a warrior able to fight with blade or magic, and she was done hiding. And Murtaugh takes off. Like, whatever plans they were making before, he's like, no, I have to spread the word that she exists because the king is going to try to cover this up. Yep. And it's also, I mean, it's followed pretty closely from the slate, you know, um, the slaughter of the slaves yeah. too. So they just had this horrible thing happen, which is very, you know, tragic and uh, defeatist isn't the right word. Um, depressing isn't the right word, even though that's what it is. Um, I can't, I, I don't remember, I don't know the word I'm thinking of. Demoralizing. Yeah. demoralizing right they just had this really demoralizing thing that happened and then not that long after they find out that Aelin Gal Galathinius is back and she's powerful mm -hmm. and she's there for them and it's great like yes they just like very demoralized but now they actually have a person you know up until this point yeah sure there was some hope and stuff but there was no proof that like Aelin was around you know, and now he's got it, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. it's great. It is right below that, that, that part in the book, uh, or right next to it, it, they talk about, so it says Murtaugh Alsbrook and his writers spread the news like wildfire. So that's good. A wildfire is a nice little representation for Aelin's actual powers of fire. But it says more and more until there was not a road they had not covered until there was not one soul who did not know that Aelin Galathinius was alive and willing to stand against Adderlin. And it talks about all of, so across the White Fangs and the Runes to the Western Waters, 
and the red hair queen. So we see this reference back to, um, oh crap, what's her name? Ansel. We see this reference back to Ansel, back to the deserted peninsula, the silent assassins, Banjali, the king and queen of Iwe, um, all of these places that Selena touched where she is present. Now she's reaching as Aelin, which is nice. Um, but it says, hold on. The writers told the world, hold on. Like I had chills. It made me cry. When, when I read that, like it, it's just to go from this extreme, uh, like you said, so demoralizing to have such a buoy to such a beacon for hope that there's someone who's trying to combat this evil man who's covering the world in his darkness, like literal darkness. That's how these people manifest their powers. There's a light amongst it. Ooh, I felt it so deeply this time around. I still feel it. It's making my eyes a little misty right now talking about it. <laughs> the last part of this book is so, it is just intense too. I mean, then we move on to um, Dornell, right? Her going to Dornell and having her confrontation with uh, Maeve. Yeah. Which again, another very powerful scene. I feel like it was, it was very powerful, but not quite as intense <laughs> um, I, in a way, I guess. Cause I feel like it was much more personal you know it was like on a smaller scale like it was a lot of stuff that was going on a lot of things but like I don't know it felt like a nice contrast compared to this massive thing that everybody hears about right we've got this sort of like other stuff on the side going on where we see Aelin like doing her thing and we see her really coming into her own and being the alien, alien, <laughs> the alien. <laughs> alien that we know and love by the end of the series, you know, she's being a little bit manipulative herself when it comes to Nate. It's, it's great. I know you have a note about it. If you want to talk about uh, it, how you feel. I do. Rowan and Aelin go to Doranel because Aelin is finally, you know, interesting enough to be seen by Maeve. And he, so Maeve is like, show me what you learn or show me your powers. And she's like, mm, no not gonna do that and so uh she Maeve shares the information about the word keys but it's pretty obvious that she's not given all of the information out and she manipulates Aelin's relation her friendship with um, Rowan to try to get Aelin to share what she knows about the word keys and Aelin didn't share that information with Rowan because she knew with his blood oath with Maeve that it would be used against him and her and so to overcome that Maeve has Rowan whipped we see this really interesting contrast so in Mistword we had Rowan's friends holding him down to keep him from getting to Selena and then in this situation we have Rowan's friends holding him down again so that he can be whipped because of Selena like your friends kind of suck, Rowan. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they're not friends, really. Right. Yeah, because Rowan doesn't have friends either. Like, no, no, <laughs> everybody's against friendship in this book for some. Like, no one can be friends with anybody. We just work together, okay? <laughs> and so, 
she starts to whip Rowan and my girl Aelin just sets the world on fire. She's like, all right, you wanted a display? Here we go. She just sets like the entirety of Doranelle on fire. I was like, oh girl, I love you so, so much. Like she doesn't burn anybody, but she could if she wanted to. And Maeve is like, well, there's not any wood because her, she's on an island made of stone surrounded by water. Maeve's like, there's nothing here that you can set on fire. Stone isn't going to burn. And Aelin is like, well, your people are going to burn. So what now? (laughs) I love it. And then suddenly Aelin's like, um, I'm pretty sure you're just scared. (laughs) Yeah. So she says, so they're talking about the, the, the word keys because Maeve's not sharing all her information. And she says, you never gave the keys to Brandon and you didn't journey with Brandon and Adril to retrieve the keys from the Valg. You went to steal them for yourself. You wanted to keep them. Um, once Brandon and Avril realized that they fought you, she's basically just calling Maeve out for being uh, a thief, being underhanded and sneaky and not being the great fae queen that everyone thinks she is. So Aelin calls her out and then she uses Avril. So a- Avril was her ex-lover, former lover, and was going to propose to her, um, but chooses not to. And so she uses this engagement ring as a bargaining tool to free Rowan. And it's just like, it's just the most, it's just the most. It's perfect. It's so spectacular. Maeve says, give me that sword and get out. And she holds her hand out for the sword. And Selena shakes her head and she says, I don't think so. (laughs) Brandon left that in that cave for anyone but you to find. So it's mine through blood and fire and darkness. It's not very pleasant when someone doesn't give you what you want, is it? Oh, the sass. The sass. Yeah. I, I love the transformation that we get um, for her turning into Aelin. I mean, she's still Selena, you know? Mm-hmm. She's still Selena. She's still got that sassiness and everything. But I love this. Her, I feel like she's more confident. She's more forceful and she's she's great yeah I mean she was always great before too yeah I love seeing this transformation on her it's so good and what I also like is that we find out that Rowan kind of empowered her to 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 have this moment with the engagement ring and with Goldrin the ring that she found in the cave because he knew what she found and she told him that she found the engagement ring he's like okay super nonchalant about it doesn't make a big deal or anything and it it ends up being her bargaining chip <sighs> and then they have their their moment with the blood oath and he says i claim or with their eyes he says i love you or not i love you but really mm, 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 i claim you aelin to whatever end and he says together fireheart like he oh. doesn't know he doesn't know that her mom used to call her fireheart he doesn't know, but he says that to her. We'll find a way together to uh, a court that will change the world. Like, ma! Rowan. Rowan. The heart thing gets ah! me. <laughs> yes. Sorry, I screamed through it. It's okay. I was going to say the fire heart thing gets me. After we talked about this, like, over text, 
um, how much I love nicknames, you know, these cute nicknames. Um, and so I came home and I said to Tito, I was like, all these, you know, characters and books have, have these cute nicknames. And he goes, what about Titties McGee or something like that? <laughs> I was like, that's not, that's not, no. <laughs> don't want that. Nope. That is not what we want and not what we're referring to. Yep. No. So I guess I'm never getting my cute nickname. I don't have a cute nickname either. I want one. I don't know what it would be. Yeah, I don't know either. But Matt calls me babe. Yeah, I get that too. It's not the same. After they leave Dornell, they go to like an inn. She lays on a table. Sounds very uncomfortable. But uh, Rowan starts a very painful all day long process of tattooing her history, her grief on her scars. And it's a really beautiful moment because she, this is the moment that she uses to say the prayers for all of the people who died because of her, for her, all of the people in her past that she loved that died, her parents, her uncle, her friends, her people. She, um, lets out all of the grief that she's been holding on for onto for 10 years she sings the the songs of mourning for them um as she's going through this very painful it's like the the tattooing the pain associated with the tattooing process is the physical manifestation of her her emotional pain her heart grief her heart pain um she's having this this very cathartic moment for her where she's able to express and with it's nice that she gets to do it with Rowan because I feel like he he would be someone who would understand the extent and the depth of her grief that he sits with her it's he he has this space for her to have this grief and at the end of it he sits with her as she sings the final song on her knees in the dirt to the moon Oh, it's just catharsis is the best word that I can come to for it. I think that's the right word. I mean, because she says that she's singing their morning songs that she never sang. Yeah. So that they deserve. Yeah. She's, She's allowing herself to feel those things for the first time since they've happened. Such a massive, like from just complete complete change from where we started for sure i mean this whole book has been the story of aelin's grief Mm -hmm. we see it we see it come to a point where she's ready to start dealing with it so aelin growing up had a servant i guess right yeah maid lady in waiting i don't know that 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 last one's definitely not right anyway she had a marion she had a Marion who took care of her who took care of her family right and so when her parents are slaughtered in their bed and everything um and she finds her she's the one who kind of brings her comfort and she realizes that people are coming for Aelin too mm-hmm. right because obviously they want to kill out you know the entire Galathinius line mm-hmm. um so she's the one who like 
pushes Alan. She goes, run, go to the bridge, get there. You know, um, so she tells her where to go and then sacrifices her life for Alan to buy Alan some time mm-hmm. um, to get there. And we know that's where all of that starts. You know, that is because that brings us to where her story starts with um, Arobin then finds her right in the lake. And what was that? That was Tito. We also learn that Marion had a daughter named Alid, mm-hmm. who we will get to see more of in this book um, or in this series. I I love. I don't actually. I don't know how I feel. So many people have like this blind devotion to the terrace and leaders, you know. Yeah um which is interesting I guess it kind of shows how fair and stuff that they've been in the past they still have this respect for them all and they know they can save them but Marion's story is big is a big part of Alan's life because she saved her it is and it becomes I feel like linchpin is not really the right word but it it's a like a a crux moment for all of the unworthiness and the grief that Aelin feels. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, Marion's sacrifice and her death, I mean, that she just doesn't feel because, because she feels like the way that she's lived, I guess, hasn't been worthy of the sacrifice that Marion made for her. Um, and that that becomes such a oh just a moment for her so she wants she wants to live up to the sacrifice that marion made and she doesn't feel like she has up to this point all right i guess we should talk about our quotes because we could keep talking about this for you know a couple more hours yeah um so i'll go first because mine aren't that great so uh we i talked about this one um a little bit earlier to whatever end i just love that um you know it becomes their little phrase together and it starts it's friendship is the root of it between aelin and rowan and then i have this it's actually kind of a contrasting thing so at the beginning relatively close to the beginning it's like 60 pages in um at this point in her head she's still selena she her narr like this portion of her book she goes she could bring down the king as selena sardothian thank you very much (laughs) and then here we go circle back around to the end and it goes she was aelin ash river galathinius and she would not be afraid so we see everything coming together we see selena merging with Aelin, you know, she's taking that she would not be afraid part, you know, with her from when she was Selena, right? Mm-hmm. Keeping that little remembrance of Sam there too, right? With her and also embracing herself as Aelin. Yeah. So it was kind of those contrasting things. It's not really a quote, it's just this contrast. From the yeah. Beginning I mean, that's way. a nice point though. Um, especially, yeah. Gosh, she's just so swaggering. Like, I just love <laughs> just that ridiculous 
confidence that she had mm -hmm. 19 years old. Yeah, good point. Uh, one of my favorites was something that she said, you talked about it earlier, um, when they're, they're trying to figure out how to be friends, Selena and Rowan, she says, I claim you, Rowan Whitethorn. I don't care what you say and how much you protest. I claim you as my friend. Um, we, and it, it has this nice moment because he, he later says to her, I claim you, Aelin, to whatever end. So we get this nice, these nice moments that they have with Rowan and Selena slash Aelin. And it's nice. Um, and then I really liked some, she says this to herself, really. She says, she was the heir of ash and fire, and she would bow to no one. Like you said, this book is really about, it's a lot about dealing with the grief from her past, but a lot of it is about coming to accept who she, are, she, who she is, coming into the, the queen that she was always meant to be in accepting herself as Aelin, Ash River, Galathinius. And so this is that moment where it's like uh, she acknowledges who she is. She is the heir of ash and fire. She I, I just accepting who her who she is and what her role is, and she will not bow to anyone. Oh, love that so much. All right. You have any final thoughts, Marissa? I don't know if I have any more thoughts to share. <laughs> uh, I love this book. I'm dying to jump into Queen of Shadows. That's how it is with these. You finish one and you immediately want to move on to the next one. Which I, I did. I'm so glad like we picked these up after they had already been published. If I had to wait two years for the next book to come out, I would have died. It, I would be, oh, it's hard enough to wait for the next book in the Akatar series with these. Uh, I would have been insufferable. My gosh. Do you have thoughts? I, hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess. So as I said earlier, I already read four and five. Yep. And now I get to go back and reread them a third time. So I am very excited, to, though, still to go back and read them because I just love them so much. I love this world that, you know, Sarah Mass created. And uh, Final Thoughts is a great series. Everyone should read it. Yeah. I guess it's just, yeah. It's great. It's great. That's just, you know what, after this whole conversation, I don't really have a ton of thoughts left other than like, it's I great. Know. I love it. <laughs> I'm kind of emotionally wrung out from this conversation. <laughs> no? Yeah. We've shared a lot of things. <laughs> well, we get Listeners, to- we've been talking for three hours. <laughs> That's a long time. Let's wrap up. Thanks for listening. <laughs> you enjoyed this episode. We're very hungry. It, we've been talking for a very long time. So uh, that's it. Um, we hope you join us next week. We'll be talking about the next book in this series, Queen of Shadows. So listen in.
Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.